because it was February last year. And that meant it was a real life physical service where we actually, I actually did this weird thing where I went to a building and stood up the front and started talking uh, rather than just talking into a camera or into a microphone. Uh, but hey, you know, years of the years gone by and uh, it's, it's certainly changed, uh, changed a lot for us. Um, life has changed a lot for us. Now, I am really excited about this sermon today. Uh, we've already heard some amazing uh, testimonies of what prayer is about, amazing answers of prayer. Um, Julie sharing about, you know, miraculous answers of prayer, uh, which, you know, really are humbling in many ways, but really outstanding. And also my own my own mum, uh, Chevy, getting an answer to prayer, but not as she maybe would have intended, not the prayer answer that she would have wanted, perhaps, when she originally prayed. Um, and I think the, I'm really excited about this sermon because I feel like for me, since I've become a Christian uh, 12 years ago, when I was baptised, and obviously that's the most, being baptised and understanding repentance and how Jesus is, death on the cross plays a role in my life that's the most important thing that's ever happened to me but since being baptized i feel like the most important thing i've learned in my life as a christian has been about prayer and has been about my relationship with god and um about what it means to really live in a relationship in an intimate relationship with him uh, so before we uh, get get into the bible and have look at a, a passage that really i feel illustrates that point really 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 well probably the best of all of the passages in the bible about the uh, relationship in, in 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 prayer let's let's pray ourselves for a great uh, for god to to work at this time lord god uh, we want to say thank you that we get an opportunity just to talk to you father uh, you know the thing i love about you god is you, you know our innermost parts you know you know what goes on in our in our souls in our hearts in our feelings in our thoughts and uh, you love us just the same and you know exactly what we need father thank you that you know exactly what we need father we we just pray uh just that you speak today father i don't i don't want to speak i want you to speak lord i want this to be your word and not mine father because ultimately the only word that really matters is yours uh, we love you and we just thank you so much that we can meet together despite all the challenges that are going on please help the world at the moment father we know the world is hurting but we know with you there is always hope we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Now I'm going to share my screen. Um, I want to share a little picture to start. And uh, <clears throat> I want I want to I want to uh, give a chance for anybody who recognizes this picture, just either to write in the chat box, or write, uh, or unmute yourself and say who you think this is. I feel like I've got, a, I know a couple of people on this call who've spoken to me about this particular person and might well recognize him. Does anybody know who this is? Feel free to write in the chat box or unmute yourself. Okay, we've got a few thoughts. We've got Charles Dance, Lincoln. Oh, wow, here we go. Malcolm Steinbeck, and I imagine that is um, Mohan Chima. George Muller. Yes. Well done. Excellent. He, uh, very good. I thought, I thought I didn't know Malcolm knew about George Muller, but of course Malcolm is from Bristol and that is where, uh, George Muller was, um, 
originally originally he did a little did a lot of his work and uh, Rashad says George Muller looks like Heinrich and that's funny because Heinrich actually was one of the people who introduced me into in, he introduced me to George Muller um now I read a book I'm just gonna unshare for a moment I read a I read a book about George Muller um and George Muller was an incredible man um <laughs> there's no denying he was an unbelievable man of faith and prayer. You could say there may never have been uh, a man of prayer in all of the history of Christianity quite like George Muller. Now, George Muller uh, was originally from um, mainland Europe, but he came and lived in the UK, in Bristol of all places, in the 19th century. And uh, he started off his life as an atheist but became but came to faith in Jesus and one of his great ambitions was to prove without a doubt that there was a god who 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 um that there was a god and not only was there a god but there was a god who answered the prayers of people and uh, he he decided to prove this by opening his own orphanage now there was a major problem in the, uh, in the 19th century in in England with uh with orphans if you were an orphan and your parents you know your parents had died and that was why you were an orphan you there was no support there was no support at the time and uh generally uh orphans ended up in you know living you know horrible lives you know in either in the industry and things like that or you know in lives of abuse these sorts of things and george muller decided i want to prove that god exists and i'm going to open up an orphanage and i'm going to i'm going to prove that God answers prayers and he he started off with uh, 26 orphaned girls and he decided he was he wasn't going to ask for any requests he wasn't going to ask any person for any money he was just going to pray that people would provide resources for him to take care of more and more orphans who were in need at the time and he went from a house of 26 orphan girls to at one stage houses able to occupy 2,050 orphans at once. And by the time he had finished, by the time uh, the, 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 um, the orphan houses were sold to Bristol City Council in 1958, he had, over, he had helped over 17,000 orphans go through his, 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 his orphan scheme and given them hope. And that was all because of prayer. He didn't go around in the in the newspapers saying, oh, please, I need money for my orphan, my orphanage or whatever. He just said, I'm going to pray because I believe that God answers prayers. And I'm going to be as bold as to prove to the rest of the UK that God answers prayers. What an amazing man he was. And, uh, you know, he's someone I think is inspiring for anybody who has a faith in Jesus that prayer is something that counts. Sometimes prayer can be seen as an ethereal something that's out there, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I, I want to share today about where well, I, I really believe that prayer is something that works on a daily basis. And it's more than just prayer. It's about an intimate relationship with God. The title of my sermon today is, if my computer works, there we go, Intimacy Impossible. Obviously, you might think about the film Mission Impossible, where uh, uh, Tom Cruise is given a mission 
Uh, he's a spy or a spy type sort of character. I can't remember the exact premise of the film. But uh, for many people, probably every person in the world, intimacy is the ultimate mission of life. All of us want intimacy. We want that special relationship, that special husband, that special wife who cares about us, that special family. So many advertisements on television are all about having the perfect family. All of us want intimacy. That's what in, in our souls we want. Intimacy impossible. And the ultimate example of intimacy is this idea, could you have a real friendship with God? Could you develop a friendship with God? Now, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know if you've been a Christian for a long time. I don't know if you even believe in God. But I think there's, there'll be something for you in this, uh, in this principle today about prayer and communicating with God. You know, maybe you're coming from a, from a position of thinking, I've never really tried to get to know a, a supernatural being. Is there one even out there? If I pray, does anyone even hear me? That could be one, one position you're coming from. You could come from another position of, you know, if I do pray to this being, and I do believe there's a being, maybe you believe there's something, but you feel like if I do pray and I ask for him to do something in my life or I ask for it to do something in my life, will something actually happen? And if I ask him to do something that I think is impossible from my perspective, could he do it? And you, or maybe you're coming from another perspective of, you know what, is it actually possible for me to become a friend with this being? I believe there's something, I believe there is a God, but could I actually be friends with him? I don't know where you're coming from, but we're going to sort of work through those sort of, sort of ideas today. And uh, we're going to start by reading about our friend Abraham. Now, if you've been listening to any of the Thames Valley podcasts or Thames Valley church services recently, you'll know we're, we're looking through the, the book of Genesis. And we're looking at this character called Abraham. Abraham was an amazing guy. Um, God called him from his, his, home, his hometown to go to a, a place that he'd never heard of uh, just because, and it was just because God called him. It wasn't like there was a, a business venture or anything going there. Uh, he just said, I'm going to go because God's called me. And Abraham, you know, he's just been at this point in Abraham's story. He's just been told that despite the fact he's 100 years old, he's going to have a baby. He's going to have a son. And he says, that's impossible. I'm past that. And, uh, and God says, no, it is possible. And we're going to pick up in chapter 18, verse 20. And uh, Kate so brilliantly read uh, for chapter 18. We're just going to read through a little, a little bit of it. We'll read from verse uh, 22. Uh, God's already said the, the city of Sodom is such a is such a uh, hopeless city or such a such a city of so much sin and immorality that I'm going to destroy Sodom. And, uh, you know, in verse 22, the men leave and Abraham is left and Abraham feels like I don't want you to destroy this city. And uh, the reason for that is that uh, Abraham has a nephew called Lot who lives in Sodom. Now, Sodom in the Bible, generally there are two reasons why Sodom was seen as, uh, there were two reasons why God destroyed Sodom. Uh, you've got the, the, the word uh, sodomy that comes from the word, uh, from, from, the, from actually from this city, the, the, the old English word sodom, sodomy. Um, 
sexual sin, uh, rape, homosexuality. That was a sin that was rife in this city. And that was one of the reasons why we learn in the Bible, God did not, did, was not impressed with, with Sodom. And another reason, when we look at Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, it also talks about people of Sodom neglecting the poor and didn't care for the people in need. They're two of the reasons why uh, God was so unhappy with this, with this city. And Abraham's nephew Lot lives in Sodom. And Abraham, obviously, I think I, if, if, if I heard the, 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 the town where my sister was going to be destroyed, uh, lived, was going to be destroyed, I'd feel like, gosh, I, God, I, I don't want that, that city to be destroyed. And he approaches God and he says in verse 23, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? And you surely think, Abraham, God's made up his mind. You can't persuade the, the almighty God, as Marius so brilliantly shared in his welcome. You can't persuade the almighty to try and change his mind. That's impossible. That's not possible. Surely, surely an almighty God who's master of everything, he can't be persuaded. But Abraham tries to persuade God. He says, really, really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it. Far, far be it from you to do such a to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. He's thinking about his, his nephew Lot, treating, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. He almost, he's almost trying to persuade God. He's almost trying to appeal to God's conscience or something. He's trying to appeal and say, God, why won't you change your mind? Can't you do right and save Sodom? Can't you spare Sodom for the sake of 50 people? You know, intimacy impossible. One of the reasons why I called, I, I thought that title was relevant was because so many times when we, I think when we approach God, we can feel like, why am I praying? Why am I talking to God? Why would God listen to me? And we think about the size of the universe. We think about, you know, we're, we're one person. On a, on, 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 a, on, on a planet, a bit of rock flying around a solar system, which in, which in itself is a tiny part of a galaxy called the Milky Way, which in itself is one of billions of galaxies across the universe. Why would God listen to someone as small as me? We're all just little ants compared to the size of God. And we would think, why is there any point trying to pray to persuade God? Why is there any point trying to change God's mind? Sometimes we have situations in our lives where we feel like God's made up his mind and we can't do anything about it. Now, if I was in Abraham's situation, I would probably feel quite similar to that. But Abraham says, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pray because I believe I can change God's mind. Now how that works I don't know, by the way. I don't understand how that works, if you can change God's mind or not. Obviously, God is beyond sort of thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do this on a whim or do that on a whim. I don't know. You have to look into the deep theology of that. But Abraham keeps going. He says, if, if, if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom, spare them. And God says, if I find 50 righteous, I will spare them. And we think, what, Abraham, you've, you've persuaded the Almighty. How does that happen? And Abraham isn't content. He keeps going. Verse 27, he speaks up again. What about if there's only 45 there? Will you, will you destroy it? So he's really pushing the boat out. And God says, okay, yeah, I'll play this. Okay, if there are 45 there, 
I won't destroy Sodom. And I'm surely, you know, you think, Abraham, stop. You, 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 you've, you've gone far enough. You, you've, you've persuaded God already. Abraham says, no, I want to keep going. He's a man of faith. What about 40, God? God says, yep, go on, 40. Abraham says, 30. God says, go on, we'll, we'll try 30. 20, God says, go on, go on, Abraham, we'll try 20. 10, and God says, for the sake of 10, in verse 32, I will not destroy Sodom. What a God of mercy we have. I mean, for God to even listen to Abraham and be willing to talk to him and converse and even be willing to, in a sense, talk about what's going to happen. What a God we serve. God, one of the things I love about God and one of the things that I feel like I've learned in my Christian life is that being a Christian isn't just about obeying mindlessly being a christian is not just about when you pray giving god a list and saying god here are my prayers this is what i want do it being a christian is about having a relationship with god an intimate relationship more than that it's about having a friendship with god it's a remarkable principle but from this passage, the fact that God is willing to let Abraham into his heart, into his mind, and to discuss what he's going to do, even though it looks like he's already decided, the fact he's willing to converse with Abraham tells us a remarkable truth about God. And that truth is God wants to spend time talking with you. God wants, the God of the universe, the God of who is Lord over the, you know, all creation, the whole world as we see, he could snap his fingers and everything would be gone. That same God wants not only to talk to you, but he wants to invest in time talking to you. That is what God wants. When I became a Christian, I was, um, I got baptized when I was 14. And as I've kind of shared, I think for, for, for the first few years of my Christian life, Christian life was about obeying God, which, again, by the way, I'm not saying, you know, be a Christian and, you know, try it without obeying God. That, that doesn't work. But um, it was it was about obeying God and just asking for requests. But there was this real lack of a relationship. And I remember coming to this this point in my Christian life where I realized that I needed to take my Christian life to another level. And uh, I had to start talking with God about what was going on in my heart because God wanted to spend time talking with me. God wanted to spend time uh, talking about what really uh, about what, what was going on in, inside me, not just asking for, for requests blindly or just saying, I'll do this, I'll do that, blah, 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 blah. He wanted a relationship with me. Practical. Are you willing to spend time talking with God? God wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend time talking with you. Are you willing to spend time talking with him? Now, George Muller, who I've already mentioned, he was an amazing example of someone who was um, who spent time talking with 
with God. He used to, uh, in his spare time, you read about it in, in the book. Uh, by the way, if anybody wants this book, I'll happily give you the, the, uh, the, 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 the details and you can get it off Amazon or off eBay or, or whatever. But George Muller, in his spare time, he was so into his relationship with God. His spare time generally consisted of him going into his cupboard sitting down and just praying and just talking to God. And he, you, you read through his autobiography and it start, he starts off every day just sitting in his closet, praying for about three hours, just talking to God. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you should, you know, you necessarily have to go and shut yourself away in a cupboard or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put a, a time limit on how long you should pray. I know, you know, prayer is a personal thing, but it requires, you know, relationships require time meaningful relationships require us investing in them are you willing to invest time into talking with god are you willing to invest time in your relationship with god that's what it's going to take for you to build your relationship with god let's read on now this this story gets even stranger now abraham seemingly persuaded the almighty god to not to not uh you know not destroy uh sodom and you wonder how he was feeling you think wow he was you know maybe he went out the day after he'd had this amazing quiet time with god and felt like i've persuaded the lord it's all come to and i've, I've persuaded him he's not going to destroy sodom and uh, well technically god said if i find 10 righteous people in sodom I won't destroy it. And uh, the bizarre thing that happens is in verse in, in Genesis chapter 19, God, it, God actually experiences God goes down to Sodom and he sees how bad it is. And in, in, in Genesis 19, he ends up destroying the city of Sodom. Now, Abraham's prayer still gets answered in a sense because Lot gets away. We're going to read verse 27. Of Genesis 19. I want just I want you to think how would Abraham have been feeling in these three verses? Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He went back to where he had his quiet time. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the plain, all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. That's not a good ending. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. This is a strange situation. I don't know if you've ever had the, had a situation where you've kind of had you've, you've prayed something and it has been answered the prayer, but it also hasn't been answered or it's been answered in a way that you didn't expect it to be answered and we ask ourselves again why does god do this why does god what does it look like he's going to not destroy sodom but then why does sodom get destroyed but then if sodom gets destroyed surely lot would die but no lot doesn't die and it's all to do with this idea of intimacy god wants intimacy with me he wants intimacy with you God wants a relationship. And again, with relationships, they have to be experienced. They're not just a, it's not just a simple, you know, uh, 
we're all into AI nowadays, obviously artificial intelligence. With, a, with, a, with AI, when you tell a computer to, to, to do something, you know it will do it, or unless you've got a problem with your, your Wi-Fi or something. But overall, AI is all about computers doing what we tell them to do. But there's no relationship in that. There's only a relationship when it's dynamic. Relationships have to be dynamic and they have to be they have to be bigger than simply I will do what you tell me to do. They have to be bigger than that. They have to mean more than that. And sometimes our prayers aren't answered as we might want. For example, we 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 heard the, the testimony of my own my own mum, Shivi, um, praying to see her brother before he died and uh, obviously because of the travel restrictions he he couldn't be she couldn't see him and she didn't get her prayer answered in that sense and you know i remember the time and i remember when that happened and i think that, that was a really hard time for my mum you know she prayed but she didn't seem to get her prayer answered why does that happen there's this strange ox oxymoron in our relationship with god we pray and we, 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 there's a real relationship but sometimes things don't get answered as we want. Abraham gets a partial yes and a partial no in answer to his prayer. How would you have felt if you were in Abraham's shoes? Self-reflection. How do you feel when God doesn't act as you want him to? It's all part of intimacy. Intimacy is all, any meaningful relationship has these ups and downs. Any meaningful relationships any meaningful relationship has these periods where we go through thinking, I, I don't quite understand what's going on. For a relationship to be meaningful, it, it can't just be, uh, it has to be more than just simple. And that's what it's like with God. Sometimes our relationship with God feels complex. How do you feel when God doesn't act as you want him to? Maybe you're reading this story today for the first time and you're thinking, why why would a God destroy a whole city just because they didn't live as he wanted them to live? Why would he do that? You know, we live in a, in a world nowadays where, you know, so, so much of, um, you know, so much of our, our idea of what's right and wrong is different to what God, what God says in the Bible. How do you feel when you see what God says in the Bible and you see the difference between how the rest of the world lives? I, uh, this week, um, I, as you many of you know, I, I work as a dentist, and uh, this week I, I had a I had a family come in. I always enjoy having the families come in. It's always good fun, always good laugh. The kids come in and say, well, you know, hope they think, hopefully they think I'm not a mean dentist who's sort of, you know, trying to scare them or anything. And I always try and chat to them about life and things. And uh, this this six year old boy came in as part of this family, and he was wearing all that can be described as a bird costume. And I thought to myself, what in the world is going on here? And I asked the mum, I said, is this a homeschooling exercise? And uh, many of the parents on here will say, yes, I, we know exactly what goes on in homeschooling. Homeschooling is a complete car crash. It's crazy. And uh, it was almost like I was asking, is, is homeschooling this bad? And she said, no, it's actually uh, World Mental Health Day today. And my son is expressing himself. And I thought, okay, good. That's important. We've got to express ourselves. That's completely right. And one of the things that the reason I bring that up is one of the things for me that I love in my prayer life is I get to express how I feel to God. I think that's one of the things that's made the biggest impact on me as a Christian since I've become a Christian is I can express how I feel 
to God. And that's why I ask this self-reflection. How do you feel when God doesn't act as you want him to? Think about that this week. How do you feel when God doesn't answer your prayers in the way you think? When he acts in the Bible in a way where you don't think is fair, where he says things are wrong that you don't think is that you don't think are wrong. I want you to reflect on that. And I want you to to go to God in prayer and talk to him about how you feel in that way. Talk to him about how you feel. Again, I'm not saying if you if you're a, you know if you're a Christian uh, just start arguing with God and just disobeying him because you you disagree with him. I'm not, I'm not saying that. That's not that's not what the rest of the Bible talks about. But the Bible does talk about that does talk about praying and having an intimate prayer life. The, um, the, the one of one of the, the most famous kings in the Bible, King David, had an amazing prayer life. He wrote the book of Psalms. But sometimes you read Psalms and you think, David, what are you talking about? He talks about David talks about God. I want you to smash my enemies heads into the ground. I want you to smash their skulls into the ground. And you think, David, whoa, hold up. That's a bit that's a bit extreme. That's a bit mean. But David's talking about how he feels. He's real with God because his relationship with God is deep his relationship with god is what keeps his what keeps him going his relationship with god is special to him his relationship with god is impossibly intimate how do you feel when god doesn't act as you want him to we're going to have a before we wrap up we're going to have a look at matthew chapter 15 uh, an example in the one of my favorite examples in the new in the new testament of what it means to wrestle with God or wrestle with Jesus in this example. We've already seen how Abraham has uh, wrestled with God and wrestled through uh, through prayer and wrestled and his relationship with God has grown. It's gone through ups and downs, but it's gone through. Uh, um, but, but Abraham has gone, has a, a meaningful relationship with God because of that. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 reads, we're going to read about Jesus. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of God, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, Jesus said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, I just got to get two things out of the way in this passage, uh, which you, which you could be forgiven for maybe misreading here. Jesus was not sexist and Jesus was not racist. If you look into the ancient Greek Greek here, look at the ancient Greek texts, which you can find online. The word when Jesus addresses the woman as woman and talks about dogs and these kind of things, there's no element of disrespect from Jesus. Jesus is not looking down on this woman and talking to her as oh, on the floor. You know, you're not important. He does. He's not doing that. And also he's not talking about when he talks about 
you know, because this woman is a Canaanite, he isn't going to heal her. It's not, it's, it's all to do with God's ultimate plan. God sends Jesus specifically, initially anyway, to talk to the Jews and try and preach to the Jews. And it's eventually that he, uh, as time goes on, there's a, there's a plan that the Gentiles, who are the Canaanites are a part of, would also be reached. Jesus is not a sexist. Jesus is not a racist. Let's just get that straight out of the way. But it is a strange conversation because seemingly, you know, we know Jesus. We know Jesus is all about wanting people to be healed. Jesus wants people, to their lives to be blessed. And this woman comes to Jesus and asks him, please heal my daughter. And in verse, Jesus, in verse 23, Jesus doesn't even answer. It's almost like he's torn. And in verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He says, no, I'm not going to heal your daughter. And, uh, you know, then the daughter and the woman says, help me, Jesus. And he says, it's not right to take the child's, the, the, the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus is, he doesn't want to heal this person. And again, again, it doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't make sense. I can see Marius shaking his head. Yeah, you're right, Marius. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Why, why, why doesn't Jesus want to heal this person? And this is where it gets amazing. The woman says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the, the master's table. She's effectively saying there is always more grace to go around where God and Jesus are involved. What amazing faith. She's saying there's always more where that came from. There's always more that God can do even when the situation seems hopeless. There's always another thing that God can do. Jesus always wants to help us. She believed that. She said, I know Jesus, I know you want to help. And again, we see the same impossible intimacy when we talk about Jesus now. Jesus doesn't say yes initially, he wants us to have a relationship with him. I, in my opinion, I don't know, this isn't necessarily what the passage doesn't say explicitly, but in my opinion, I think we can infer this, that Jesus wanted this woman to talk to him and try and persuade him. Jesus wanted this woman to approach him and there to be some sort of dynamic in the relationship between the two of them, where the woman would come to Jesus and say, I do believe you can still do this. And not only do I believe you can heal my daughter, but I believe you want to heal my daughter. There's more where that came from. There's always more grace to go around. What amazing faith. And that's exactly what Jesus says to her in verse 28. Woman, you have great what? Great faith. And this is where faith comes into relationship, where we trust one another, where faith relationship requires trust. And God, Jesus, the woman trusts, um, trusts Jesus. She trusts that Jesus wants to heal her daughter. And again, the impossible happens. The Jesus Christ, the, the son of God, he seems to change his mind. How does that make sense? I hear you ask. I don't know how it makes sense. But this is, all, this is what it's all about. It's about a relationship. It's not about just a contract. It's not, it's not about just I ask God and he does it. It's about a relationship. God wants us to have a dynamic um, 
friendship with him, where we come to him and we, we talk to him and we say, God, please. And we even try and persuade him. And that's what he wants. And sometimes he answers our prayers in the way we want. And sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want. And in this situation, we get an amazing answer where this woman gets the, the answer that she wants. Challenge this week. We're wrapping up. My challenge for you is pray for one thing you need this week, even if it seems impossible. Pray for one thing you need this week, even if it seems impossible. You know, we've already had testimonies of people today. I mean, Julie Monroe, what an incredible, incredible testimony, uh, you know, years ago of her brother being being healed. I mean, unbelievable, you know, the, the doctors are befuddled and confused and, you know, thinking we don't know how she's been healed. I had a time um, quite recently where I, I, um, I had a chance to experience a little bit of this in my life. Um, as many of you know, many of you will know the great, uh, the great Harry Patel, the great brother as part of our, our ministry here in Thames Valley. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. He's a great brother. He's one of the most um, personable people you would meet. If you haven't spent time with Harry, my encouragement is, is get time with him. I know he's currently running the, uh, the teen, the preteen, uh, preteen meeting for all the preteens. I, I remember what it was like to be a preteen. Come on, the preteens, come on, the teens. And uh, he's running for that. Uh, he's running that today. And uh, I regularly talk to Harry Patel on Zoom. Harry is, uh, you know, we, we have a good friendship. And uh, Harry spoke, we, 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 we speak, we kind of generally try and speak every two weeks. And one of the weeks in, in sort of November time, I had a chat with Harry and Harry said, Ben, I had to go to, to A&E this week. And, um, I, and I was like, I was taken aback. And he said, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't see out of one eye. One of my eyes, I was having real problems with vision. And I went to the, uh, I went to the doctor, I went to A&E and they looked at my eye and uh, they said, it's, you're, it's too late for your eye. You're going to go blind in that eye. And uh, I remember feeling like, I'd, I I remember think, I think we, we've, we've all experienced so much pain over the last year, I think, in general, in the country because of everything with coronavirus. And I think nothing can diminish that. But I think when that pain hits someone who you, who you know and who you really care about, I'm a, you know, Harry's my friend, he's my brother. When it hits someone like that, and the idea of Harry losing his eyesight in an eye, that really hit me. And uh, I felt like, you know, I want to try and do something to try and change what's going to happen. The doctors had said, for, as far as I could see, uh, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose sight in your eye, Harry. And, um, you know, I felt so bad for Harry. I felt so sad. And I decided then and there, I'm going to pray for your eye, Harry. And I thought to myself, but how much do I really want this to this prayer to be answered? Why don't I fast? I'm not I'm not a I'm not a great example of fasting in my life, to be honest. It's not it's not one of my strengths as a Christian, I would say. I remember being at university and uh, the uh, the student ministry was meant to fast for some for some for some growth, for some fruit in the first week. And I didn't fast. And I remember going to the, the banquet at the end of the fast and telling my student minister, I haven't fasted. And, and I look back and I think, 
I should have fasted. That probably wasn't the best thing. That probably wasn't my finest hour. So I'm not a master when it comes to fasting. I'm not the ultimate example of, oh, yes, let's all be like that. But I decided I'm going to fast for Harry because I didn't think his eye was going to get healed. But I thought to myself, well, I can either accept his eye won't get healed and fine, his eye won't get healed. Or I can, or I can pray and fast and leave it to God that if he wants to heal his eye, he can. Because I believe God can do anything. And sometimes you have to go above and beyond for the people you love. And for as Christians, we're asked, Jesus asks us to go above and beyond the people we love. And I decided I'm going to fast for Harry for the next month. I'm going to fast for him one, one, one day each week for the next far for the next for the next month. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink anything that has any sort of sugar in it. No caffeine. I'm just going to I'm going to fast. And if God wants to heal Harry's eye, he will. I remember going through periods, I had to moderate my fasting. I remember once almost, you know, waking up at five in the morning and feeling faint and thinking to myself, oh goodness, I need to be careful how much I fast here and need to not die in the process. And uh, I spoke to Harry a couple of weeks later and he said, yeah, I can see something out of my eye. It seems to be going somewhere. There seems to be some improvement. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe we're going somewhere here. And I kept, and I thought, okay, let's keep fasting. And I spoke to him two weeks later and he said, Ben, the doctors are really, they're really encouraged. My eye is 95% fixed. I can see. I can see. And I thought to myself, I remembered back to how I had originally felt when I first heard Harry wasn't going to be able, wasn't going to be able to see out of his eye. And I thought, I thought this was impossible. I didn't think there was any point praying. I didn't think there was any point fasting because I thought, the doctors had said it was curtains, that that was it. You know, with all these stories, it's all about perception. You know, I perceived that it was hopeless. But with God, there was hope. Now, if you speak to Harry today, his eye is pretty much back to what it was before he had this problem. His eye's been healed. Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, if, if you, you know, maybe you've prayed in the past and, you know, you didn't fast. I'm not saying, oh, I feel guilty you didn't fast. Please don't do that. That's not the point of this. But the point is, this is about a relationship with God. My relationship with God grew because of my prayer and because of my fasting. And that's what God wants with you. We don't always get the answer we want in prayer, but we do build an amazing relationship with God. There's one thing you take away from this sermon. It's just this one principle. Intimacy, impossible intimacy with God, the almighty, the creator of the universe who can do anything. That intimacy is possible through prayer. That relationship can be built. Now, it's not always going to involve, you know, mountains being moved. We know sometimes, you know, as a dentist, I, I work and, uh, you know, if, if people come into me, and they give me a request and say, draw smiley face, draw smiley faces on your on on um on my teeth with your drill. I'm not going to say yes. God doesn't always say yes. He doesn't always give us the answer to prayer we want. But intimacy with God is possible through prayer. That's my encouragement today. Abraham is an amazing example of that. He developed intimacy through his prayer life. Jesus and the Canaanite woman developed int intimacy through their interactions, and I've been able to develop intimacy through my relationship with God. Amen. I hope that's been an encouraging thing 
to hear. And I hope as you go ahead this week, you'll be able to think about developing intimacy with God in your relationship with him. God bless you.